Father, this morning we just come to you. We surrender ourselves, O Lord, into thy hands. And we pray and we believe the blood of Jesus sanctifies. It cleanses. Make us clean vessels, O God, that we can hear and receive your living word. That truly we can hear your voice, you speaking to us. That when we go from your house, we do not go hungry, but we go filled. We do not go dissatisfied, but we go satisfied. Cleanse us and fill us. Just surrender everything at your feet, Lord. Because we have come to you. Very life itself. You're not just a source of life. You are life. You're not just a source of truth. You are the truth. Forgive us hearing ears this morning. Willing and obedient hearts. That Christ in us may prevail. Speak, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been looking at how to not just escape, but rather overcome the power of Babylon. We have only two choices in this world. This world is called Babylon. Either you can overcome, come out and overcome Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, or you can be overcome by this world, the spirit of this world. There are only two options. We have some candidates today writing the neat exam. But everybody in this world is a candidate, either for hell or for heaven. And everyone is writing their exams without realizing it. There are only two candidates and two places in eternity. It's either heaven or it is the lake of fire. There is no third place. But the devil wants to deceive people saying there are many places, but there isn't. So therefore God says, come out of Babylon. Do not share in her sins. We are not even Asked to be neutral in Babylon. He said, we are asked to come out because you cannot escape judgment even if you are neutral in Babylon. So Lot has to be brought out by force if he doesn't want to be part of the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And that day is coming closer and closer. Every second brings that day closer and closer. So many terms. It's called the day of judgment. It's called the day of evil. It's called the day of darkness. It is called the day of Jacob's trouble. And all this you see. You see evil increasing. You see darkness increasing. You see all this increasing. But a day is coming. It's the epitome. When darkness literally will cover the whole earth. We are talking not about physical darkness, but we are talking about spiritual and moral darkness. 
the examples, the symbols are there in the Old Testament. You know, before Israel was set free by the blood of the Lamb from the power of Egypt, another symbol of Babylon, Egypt had to go through three days of intense darkness, absolute darkness, that they couldn't even move. And then at the end of the third day, Israel was set free. So there is darkness coming. And at the end of the darkness, it will be light for God's people. There's a problem with darkness. In darkness, we know we do not see where we are going. In darkness, if you try to walk, we do not see the obstacles on the way. In darkness, if you try to walk, we have every chance to stumble and fall. In John chapter 12 and verse 35, Jesus said, A little while longer, light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. He said, a little while you have light. And after that, darkness will come. And he says, it's not just darkness coming. Do not let darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Now we know this about physical darkness, but it is even more true of spiritual darkness. And spiritual darkness, unless our spiritual eyes are constantly open and spiritual we are awake, we will not be aware that we are walking in spiritual darkness. That's why this is a battle, 24-7 battle. You cannot afford to relax in this. Like simple examples, you see, go to Sikandarabad, Hyderabad, that's Golconda side, anywhere, you will see soldiers walking, army movement, they're casual everywhere. But if you go to the line of control at the Jammu Kashmir border, at the line of control, it is not casual. It is not casual. You look at them, they are on 24-7 alert. We just know from the news when two soldiers if you cross the line by accident and cross over, you are dead. If you are not careful on this side, they will cross over and take your heads off. That's what happens at the border. How alert they have to be. Alert they have to be 24-7, every change of God. They are given, I don't know how many hours duty. They have to be absolutely, totally alert. So we understand this in terms of physical warfare. But we say in India, that's only at the border. We don't have to worry. These borders, we have only with this thing. But we don't realize we who are born of God are facing that same threat in the spiritual realm. You cross the line, God says, the heads that I have put around you, he says, be careful, the snake will bite you. The serpent will take over you. You are not alert and you leave a door open, they will still come after you. So God says, be careful. This is a battle. You cannot afford to be spiritually asleep. And this is not a frontal attack where it, the enemy is visible. The enemy is not visible. His ways are 
is not easily knowable because the tool the weapon he uses is deception it is like a bundle of notes you get at the teller at the bank and among those 100 notes one note is fake how do you how do you find out that fake one which has missed both the machine and the teller and has come into your hands it's like that unless our spiritual eyes are opened and we have discernment when the day of evil evil comes we should be able to stand because we are fighting this battle in ephesians 6 verses 12 and 13 scripture says you are wrestling but you are not wrestling with flesh and blood but against principalities powers against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places you see you are not wrestling with flesh and blood but you are wrestling with powers of darkness in heavenly places you are wrestling therefore scripture says take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day should be able to stand every attack of the enemy and still be standing the question is are we standing in the physical if we fall down we will know in the spiritual when we fall down are we aware we know from this portion 14 to 17 is actually describing the armor but that too is spiritual 14 yeah to 17 stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god this is all spiritual this is all spirit i know in sunday school we were taught or you were taught i never went to sunday school in my life okay so they give you pieces of armor and say you have to put it on and every morning confess you're putting it on it doesn't work this is spiritual when you need to be very sure in your spirit that when you're putting it on it is really on like in the physical when you put something on you are aware you it is on and the same awareness must be there in the spirit that it is on in the physical when we are missing a piece of clothing we are aware the question is in the spirit are we aware okay. there you will see why is this armor so important because that too is spiritual because there is a constant attack against the armor constant attack against the armor and then in verse 17 scripture says take up the sword of the spirit the word of god sword of the spirit which is the word of god okay so what does it mean what does it mean this is a weapon this is a offensive weapon second corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 and 4 says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh so you have a sword there and we have war here that we do not war according to the flesh but do we we do war we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but we do wrestle 
with powers of darkness. We do not have physical swords, but we do have spiritual swords. We do not fight according to the flesh, but we do fight. The weapons of a warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. That means, there is a spiritual weapon and there is a spiritual battle. This is also something which is perceivable in the spirit exactly like if you fight in the flesh. In all of my years in my life, physically I only fought once. That was in class 9 and I can still remember when I lost my temper and hit a guy right on his nose. Guy bigger than me. Then that's when I realized you can handle bullies. But only once and I can still feel the shock of my hand because I hit somebody. Physically when we fight we are very aware if you hit somebody, right? Spiritually too. If you use the sword of the spirit you will be aware. We'll come to that later but let me give you this this, let me explain to you this. The spiritual realm is as real, even more real than the physical world. It's as real, or even more real than the physical world. That's why God told Jesus, told Nicodemus, unless you are born of the spirit, you cannot see. So you can see the kingdom of God, right? If you are born of the spirit, you can see. Meaning spiritually you can pursue, you can see. He says you cannot enter. That means spiritually you can enter. You know you have entered from one realm to another realm. It's perceivable in the spirit, not in the physical. But if you are absolutely fleshly, physical beings will miss the spiritual. But if we are spiritual beings born of God, the Spiritual realm becomes more real and fasting helps you in that because it's the cutting down of the flesh and the opening of the spirit where you open the spirit to hear and see from God. So the question is, are we fighting? Are we ready to fight? First remember, you and I have to be protected by armor. Then see, you not only have armor, that you are also armed to fight. That's why scripture says, take the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Spiritual battle. First part of armor. This is very important. This part, shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet, because look what goes through your mind. This is protecting your soul. Yes, last Sunday we looked at your spirit, your soul, your body. Discouragement. Despair, lethargy, sleep, laziness, distraction. Even when you are sitting here, your mind is wandering here and there and not able to concentrate. You are mincemeat in the hands of the enemy. Why? Because the armor is off. Armor is off. Let me ask you a question in the physical. When you, once in a while all of you go, Go to that movie theater for that movie which you like. And you sit there. Do you miss one scene? Does your concentration break? No, it doesn't. Why? Because it's in the physical, it's in the flesh, and the flesh is able to concentrate without a break for three hours. You think it's not possible in the spirit? It is possible if your armor is in place. 
Therefore, the attack is constantly on those areas, our soul, with discouragement and laziness and lethargy and complacency and wandering minds. They're forever after. That's where God says, these are spiritual armor. And the attack goes on non-stop to get us to react in the flesh. Because if we react in the flesh, the enemy gets a hold. And most people are still struggling in that area. Though it's a battle, it's a battle that must be won. And they are struggling in that area. But scripture's promise in Matthew 16 verse 18 and 19 is that we are not just defensive people. This battle has been to be taken to the enemy. I say to you, Peter, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hate shall not prevail against it. It cannot. God says the gates of hell can never prevail against God's church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says on the other hand, he says, I will give you authority over the powers of darkness. It's the other way around. They fear, they will fear you rather than you fearing them. What we have here is a declaration from Christ of victory, power and victory over powers of darkness. The question is, how does it happen? In the portion we look from Ephesians, two things are mentioned connected with this battle. First is the defense against the attacks of the devil, that is, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. If you look at that portion, you will see fiery darts. Fiery darts. Why are people so depressed? Why are people so discouraged? Why? Why? Because the attack is hitting your soul. Why are people so tired? Tired out, worn out. Why? On the other hand, God says, put your armor in place and take the attack now to the enemy, counter-attack with the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18 says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication, in the spirit being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He says, prayer is battle. Prayer is warfare. And that's one thing he says to do. Pray without ceasing. Your and my spirit engages and can engage in real battle. Real battle. Your spirit is a real entity. Let me warn you again or acknowledge which engages in spiritual violence. Spiritual violence is allowed by God. Not physical violence. Spiritual violence is allowed. The kingdom of God advances by violence. Spiritual violence. Your spirit doesn't have to know the limitations of your physical body. Physical body is limited by age, by weakness, by sickness, 
by attacks on the soul, the physical body is limited. But your spirit needn't be limited by any of these things. So you can be a 90 year old wrinkly little grandmother and be powerful soldier in the spiritual realm where hordes of demons tremble and flee from you. It's not limited by your body at all. Watch out because the deceiver knows the power of prayer. One man, one man, just one man, one man. On Mount Carmel, bound up all the powers of darkness in Israel. They couldn't move. They had hundreds and hundreds of false prophets who had great power before and encased in power before that. Real wonders and signs and everything. But one man bound them all up. They couldn't move. Just one man. Therefore understand, the devil will be constantly after your and my prayer life. Prayer life. I know even you young ones, many of you young ones are willing. That's why on VBS on the last day we saw the altar call. Everybody is willing. The question is in that, are you obedient? Willingness is step one. After that, are you obedient? You know, when I first went to that other country, as a missionary, when I met that young, young, then he was a young boy. He was in class eight. He was in class eight and he was part of the worship team. And I still remember seeing this little fellow, small little fellow sitting in the corner after worship and listening to me. I went there a year later. I was there for two years. And among all the young people I knew, this class nine year old boy said, Sir, can I walk with you? He was not my student because he was in another institution. Can I walk with you? I said, of course you can come. Sir, can I come and stay with you in your quarters during the weekends? I said, yes, you can. I want to learn the word. Can I come with you for every church service you take? I said, I would love it. Two years he was with me. How old was he? In class nine. That's the guy who is the pastor now with the largest growing church in that country. And he's got another eight or nine churches under him. And he was just younger than most of you when I first met him. Willingness is one thing. Obedience is step two. So when I preach, I preach to young people too. And the only limitation you put on God is what you limit yourself with your flesh. Because scripture says all things are possible with God and all things are possible with him or her who believes. Are possible. And the devil knows that. He knows the power of somebody who believes. Power of somebody who prays. So he will use all his tricks to either to get us to fall into temptation or make us break under pressure. So that we are rendered ultimately useless in this battle. So Samson with all his strength and power is rendered ultimately useless through temptation and is killed along with his enemies. In Judges, when Gideon starts his battle, gets ready, finally this timid, fearful fellow gets ready and he's got this huge company that comes. The first thing God says in Judges 7.3 is, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, 
Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart. Atones from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Are you getting to see? Now the problem is, we do not see this as sin. Unless you study your Bible carefully and realize at the end in Revelation 21, the first set of people who are kept outside of heaven, who will not make it to heaven, are the fearful. Because fear ultimately will make you sin. You will give in to the devil. So the devil's tactic from the beginning has been to cause us to sin one way or other. Some sins like fear, we don't see it as evil. We see it as normal. God says, not for my people, because I did not give you the spirit of fear. If God did not give it, who gave us? The devil. If the devil says, why did you receive it? Reject it every day. He is willing to give anything we will receive. God says, I did not give you. But the devil knows God very well. So God, he knows if he can cause us to sin, sin ultimately will bring judgment. Therefore God leaves a door open for his children which is called repentance. That's why if you look into messages around the world, 99% of the churches never preach on repentance because that is the doorway God has put for us to come back to him. And the problem is an unrepented sin will only lead to a hardening of the heart and we are already useless in the kingdom. Are we getting the picture? We just touch the basics. Now let's go and look again at Ephesians 6, this time from 17 to 20, and we will see the whole focus is on prayer. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This two is put together. The other, the combinations are there. God says, God says, if you have to fight this spiritual battle, this need to be in place. A discouraged soldier fighting the devil is, you cannot. A timid fellow, fearful fellow, no, that's why God gives Gideon so much space until he believes and is ready to fight. Lord, I am, okay. Lord, okay. I understand, I, I, I know you. I know you can fight, you are a mighty warrior, but I will give you space until you are ready to fight. Ready to fight. Start. I'm going to build your faith. First, cut down this Asherah pole in front of your father's. Okay, Lord. You call me to fight? Okay. Okay, Lord. If the fleece is dry and the ground is wet. Okay. Let it be that way. Then the ground is wet and the fleece. Okay, that's right. Lord, I'm still fearful. Okay, only 300 are left. He said, okay. Now you go to the enemy's camp and listen to what they are saying. Now he comes back very strong because he heard the enemy is more afraid of Gideon than Gideon is afraid of the enemy. Then only you are ready to fight. Otherwise you are not ready to fight. So the word of God starts bringing strength in. So scripture says, take the helmet of salvation, be very clear that your mind is aligned with the word of God and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And then it's all about prayer. So prayer is a battle. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, all kinds of prayer. 
supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And verse 19, And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So it's all about the proclamation of the gospel and being a witness for Christ needs a lot of prayer. But the whole focus is on prayer. Okay, the whole focus is on prayer. Prayer has two functions like a double-edged sword. One, it's an inward function. And two, it has an outward function. The problem is we often forget the inward function of prayer. Therefore, our outward prayer has no power. Prayer has an inward function. Why was the prayers of Jesus so powerful and often so short? One man of God said this way, the power of your prayer is dependent upon how close you are to the throne. And how close you are torn through the throne is dependent upon how powerful your inward prayers are. What is inward prayer? What is that function of the inward prayer? Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh had offered up prayers? Jesus in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now by now we are all pundits. You know this word so well. What this verse means, you're better than most theologians because many, many theologians, including pastors in this city, do not know what this scripture means. And let me tell you, because I have talked to many, many, many of them, they do not know what this means. Did God save him from death on the cross? No. So from what death did he save him? The death that comes from sinning. The wages of sin is death. So all his inward prayers, focusing is, Lord, help me never to sin against you. Help me not to walk in the flesh, to walk by faith and faith alone and never sin against you. Why? Because he knew, one, sin will make you absolutely powerless. Then your outward prayers have no power. If you want your outward prayers to be powerful, then first we have to focus on this one. Lord, help me not to sin. And when you sin, help me, Lord, to quickly repent and turn away from my sin. You know, Hebrews 12, 4 says, yesterday at the men's meeting, we looked at that. 12, 4 says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. In your battle against sin, you have not come to the point of shedding blood. Shedding blood. In your battle against sin, that's how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his entire focus of his prayer is, Lord, help me not to sin against you and go in the ways of flesh and have my will and not your will. And you see, he's starting to shed blood. He says, that should be the end of our prayer life. Where in our battle against sin, we are willing to shed blood. This is the inward focus of prayer. That is why you need to realize the first focus of prayer is directed against sin itself. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, 
We all know the Lord's Prayer, right? But did you see the Lord's Prayer one more way? A little closely in Matthew, yeah. 6, 9 to 15. In this manner therefore pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. One line. Just one line connected with our needs. On the other hand, if we look at our own prayers, 21 lines we have in the prayer, 20 lines will be about our needs. One line about our needs. What is the rest about? Forgive us our debts, my sins, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Next verse. Lead me not into temptation because temptation will lead to sin and sin will lead to judgment. Deliver us from the evil one because he is forever tempting or testing me to fall into sin. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly everything in that prayer is connected with overcoming sin in your life. That's the focus of that Lord's prayer. That's the focus of the Lord's prayer. The first focus inward. Because if we are overcomers in this, then we will be overcomers in the other side of prayer. Then God says, even before you ask, I will reply. Even before you ask, I will reply. You look at Jesus' public prayers, how long were they? One line, two lines. If you look at his private prayers, they were hours together. Hours together to see that his spirit remained close to the spirit of God. Hours together. That's what God is talking about. This is what we need to understand about prayer has battlefield. Our prayer life is our power line. How powerful is your prayer life? Is as much power of God that comes into our lives. In James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, scripture says, Confess your trespasses to one another. This is God to do with sin. Deal with sin. Be accountable for the sin in your life. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then tells, Elijah was a man just like us. Was a man? Just like us. He prayed and it would not rain. Why was Elijah's prayer so powerful? His prayer was so powerful because there was no sin in him. He dealt with that. Nothing in him. He had dealt with his flesh. The minute he allowed flesh to surface after Mount Carmel, he broke under the powers of darkness and he ran and he wanted to kill himself. Understand the Bible is full of examples of men and women who prevail in prayer. The first time prayer is mentioned in the Bible, scripture says Abraham prayed and all of Abimelech's household was healed. First time prayer is mentioned. Moses prayed many times and every time he prayed, God stayed his hand of judgment over a nation, over individuals in the nation. Every time Moses prayed, God heard it. Lord, don't do this to Israel. He said, okay. No, Lord, forgive Aaron. He said, okay. Every time he prayed, God heard him. When he prayed, Israel won. 
when Joshua prayed, time literally stood still. Solomon prayed to God for wisdom and he became the wisest king ever. Elijah prayed and we saw what happened. Hannah, Daniel, his three friends, these are all people who are telling us prayer is really effective. It works. It really works. The question if it works, do we believe there is power in prayer? In the old covenant, one entire tribe, one enti- only one tribe of the twelve was called to the ministry of God. They were called priests. Their primary function, if you know, was intercession, which is a form of prayer. The primary function of the Levitical priesthood was to intercede or pray for the people. In the New Covenant, Scripture says there is a change of priesthood. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Scripture says, We are now a generation of priests. Levitical priesthood is gone. In Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, God says, He has made us kings and priests to God. So any church where there are priests are still part of the old covenant. They are not part of the new covenant. New covenant, everybody is a priest. Because everybody is called to intercede. Everybody is called to intercede. Let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament, if I am Aaron and you are from the tribe of Benjamin, will Aaron ask uh, Moses, who is not from the, this Moses is not from the tribe of Levi. Let's imagine he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Will I ask him to pray for me? Will I ask? No. Then how come in the new covenant, Apostle Paul in Ephesians 16 asked us to pray for him? Is he an apostle? The highest ranking in the order in the new covenant? But is he asking everybody in the body of Christ in the Ephesus church to uphold him in prayer? Why? Everybody is a priest. Everybody is a priest. There is a change of priesthood and the change is drastic. Hebrews chapter 4, 7, 24, 25 says, He because he continues forever. Who? Jesus, the high priest, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus' primary function now? Intercession. So what is the primary function of this new priesthood who comes under him? Intercession. Everybody is not called to preach. Very few are called to preach. Everybody is called to intercede. The primary purpose of the church is to intercede because their high priest intercedes. In the old covenant, the priest needed something. If you have to, if a priest had to intercede for you, you have to give him something to make intercession. That was basically the flesh and the blood of animals. But that stopped because Jesus offered his own flesh and blood. But we are priests. So in the new covenant from every priest, God still demands something. We have to, no priest can approach God without an offering. So in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living 
sacrifice. Why are all these new covenant priests sitting here and nodding away and sleeping and distraction? Because last night you offered your body to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, sitting up till 2, 3 in the morning, playing games and watching TV. So now you come and try to offer your body. The devil says, you can't fool me. I know who you were with me last night. That's why God says you cannot drink from two cups. Saturday night you can drink from the cup of the devil and Sunday morning come and drink from the cup of the Lord. You have to be serious about these things now. Because there are only two places in eternity. It's a battle joined. It doesn't work otherwise. You don't play games with the devil. And you don't play games with God. Because God doesn't play games with his apps. Absolutely serious about it. If you have any doubts, look at the cross. How serious he is about you and me. He's serious. You have to be serious about these things. If you are so serious about the earthly things, how much more serious should we be about heavenly things? That's why God says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just offer. It needs to be holy. It needs to be acceptable to God, not to man. To man, if I look, all of you look acceptable, well-dressed. Everybody is dressed, we have the Sunday best, which is good. I don't encourage casual wear on Sundays in the church, no. Go to those churches, no, but not here. You need to have decorum in the house of God because you are worshipping God. But, that is still outwardly. Are we acceptable to God? You are acceptable to your pastor, but are we acceptable to God? Is a God who looks first at your heart, then he looks at your outside. He doesn't look at the outside first. Here the pastor looks first at his outside. He doesn't look at your heart because I cannot see your heart. I can see who's nodding, whose eyes are wandering. That is outside. I can see and I'll call you by name. God doesn't look at the outside first. He looks at the inside. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service as a priest. Priests have a service. In the old covenant, the priest went through rituals purifying himself. Then he came with the flesh and the blood for sacrifice. God says, no, I don't want that. In the new covenant, I want you. Second thing he says, I want your mind. I want your mind. Because if I can have your mind, I can have the rest of you. I want your mind. When he says, when I want your mind, he says, simple English in which we understand Don't copy the world. Don't copy the world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't copy the world. Don't copy the world. Therefore God says, as a priest, I want you to offer yourself, your body, your soul to me. Your spirit is anyway mine. It was born from above. I want your body, I want your soul every day, a daily sacrifice. Understand that. If you offer somebody a dirty cup and says, yeah, pour some water into it, that person will look at it and says, why don't you wash it and give it? Right? The same thing with God even more. When we offer our lives to God and say, Lord, fill it, He will say, cleanse it first. I cannot fill you with anything other than me. And if I have to fill you, cleanse yourself first. Therefore, the primary focus of prayer is connected with cleansing. 
When you and I hold up our lives to God and say, fill it up, God says, you clean it up and I will help you clean it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 19 to 21, God is very clear. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. What stands? The solid foundation of God stands what? Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. I don't know. But the Lord knows. Even in this crowd, He knows. It's solid foundation. He knows who are His. And He says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you got my name, God says, then depart from iniquity. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself here, the honor is on us. It's on us. Cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. God knows who's who are his. He knows. How does he know? Because they are constantly cleansing themselves so that he can fill them and use them. Understand that. In the Old Testament, the priests not only brought flesh and blood, they brought other offerings too, especially incense. So in Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer this sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do we? Do we murmur? Do we grumble? Do we complain? Or do we give him the sacrifice of thanksgiving? God says as a priest. That is why when the incense was to be made, it was very, very, very clear this is the way the incense has to be made and that incense could be used only in this place and nowhere else. And God says, I don't want incense in the New Testament. I want praise and thanksgiving from you because you are my priest, redeemed by the blood of my son. But also remember in the old covenant, every vessel through which an offering was made to God, was cleansed and sanctified by blood. So God says, let your lips be sanctified. In Revelation 8, verses 3 to 5, Scripture says, Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar and was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. This is in heaven. He's able, about to offer incense to God. God says, no. Incense from heaven mixed with the prayers of saints on earth. That's what I want. That's the offering to God. Incense, heavenly incense, mixed with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before God's own very throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. That prayer is going Right before God. And verse 5 says, Then the angel took the incense, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there was noise, thundering, lightnings, and earthquake. What does it mean? What does it mean? You know what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Thanksgiving, supplication, prayer, let everything be known unto God. You want to see a practical demonstration of how it happens and what happens and revelation aids effect on earth? Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. At the midnight hour, Silas and Paul and Silas are praying and singing. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and praise to God. The prisoners were listening. Scripture says, up there in heaven, the sense of which the angel was taking was mixed with the prayers of these two saints. It was thrown down onto earth and there was a great earthquake and the prison was opened. That's how things happen in this world when saints pray. That's the power. That's the power of prayer. And God says, only my people can do it. The rest of the world, they go to the powers of darkness to get their things done. My people have access through prayer to change things in this world. But the question is, do we believe? That's the place where the church is the weakest, our prayer life. Revelation 12.11, scripture talks about those who overcame. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. Blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb. If anyone sins, God is faithful. If you confess, scripture says, the blood of Jesus cleanses. God says, the blood of the Lamb, those who have learned to apply the blood of the Lamb and walk in sanctification, then the word of their testimony which comes forth as prayer defeats the enemy. And in their battle against sin, they are willing to shed blood. Devil is defeated. Exactly the same way Jesus defeated him. It's a battle and it is real. And age doesn't matter. If anybody thinks I am too young or too old, it's irrelevant in the kingdom of God. Truth only matters. Do you believe? Do we will be obey? So the question today we ask is, how strong is our prayer life? How strong is our prayer life? Let me ask you a few questions. When you pray, do you only pray when there is a problem? And when there are no problems, your prayer life just peters off. Are you only able to pray in church? Are you restless and distracted when you try to pray? And even when you fast, because you hear God says to fast, you fast. Do you fast with the eye on the clock? Okay, I'm fasting one meal. When is lunch coming? Do you get tired very easily by praying? There are so many signposts to know you are trapped by the enemy in your prayer life. That's how you know. One man of God said it this way. He said, I went to a place in Korea. He said, I saw 60 and 70 and 80 year old women praying non-stop for two hours, three hours, while 16 and 17 year old girls were sitting down after five minutes because they were tired. That's the question. 
He said, I went to this church and they were given one prayer point. By the time they finished praying for one prayer point, two hours were over. One prayer point. It was war. He said, looking at the multitude who was praying over one prayer point for two hours, it was like the rumbling of the sea. Prayer. There are so many signposts we need to look and be careful. Because as we grow older, our prayer life should be getting stronger, not weaker. Because now, if you are really spiritually growing along with physical age, we should be fighting more intense battles now than ever before. Therefore, you will see the intensity of Jesus' prayer life at the end of his life more than at the beginning of his life. At the end of his life, his spiritual battle is so intense, even for him, he's shedding blood. So our intensity of our prayer life should increase as we grow older. So this first Sunday, fifth month, check the altar of our prayer. Because the time of playing games is over. In Isaiah 16, if I am right, and verse 12. And it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. Moab is weary on the high place. On the high place he's been playing games with idols. Modern, this thing. When, let us say, poor Moses, you are the Bakra. That's the problem when you sit on the first, okay? When Moses has got tired playing all his games and seeing nothing is now finally happening in my life, when he comes to the sanctuary to pray, he suddenly realizes his prayer will not prevail. Moab is weary on the high place that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. Why will he not prevail? Why is Moab not prevailing? Answer is given by another prophet. Jeremiah 48 verse 11. Moab has been at ease from youth. The reason? Moab loves ease and comfort. So many believers, Christians, new covenant who are real soldiers unlike the old covenant believers. They love food. They love entertainment. They love comfort. They love ease. But when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, when you try to pray, God says, you will not prevail. You will not prevail. If you have to prevail, don't be at ease from your youth. Here the word youth means from the time you are born again. Don't be at ease. Take spiritual walk very, very seriously. More seriously than the way you prepare for your neat exams and your dirty exams. More serious than academics. More serious than anything else in life. You have to be very serious about this. Cannot be at ease. Because otherwise you won't prevail. Elijah was not at ease. 
he was spiritually violent but we don't see it but one day when we see him he's standing before the king but he says before the lord whom i stand there will be no rain in this land nothing until the word comes from my mouth and mount carmel you see him prevailing because he was not ease at ease in his youth john the baptist could stand in the wilderness and crowds could come to him to listen to his word because he was not at ease in his youth scripture says he was in the desert until he grew up and reached the age of 30 and his main costume was what a leather belt why do you need a leather belt you want to understand pastor vijay will explain very well why because you fast That's why they needed leather belts. Because they fast. And they were fasting from the world, separating from the world. They were never at ease. They were not at ease. Don't look for comfort. Don't look for ease when you are young. This is battle. That's one thing they will never do in the line of control. Give those soldiers mattresses. Because he will fall asleep and you will die. There's something they don't do there. That's why Paul tells Timothy, endure hardship as discipline. So many of us, we don't realize, in our high places, it has failed. Has your job failed you? Jobs have failed everybody. Education has already failed. Philosophy has failed. Even the church has failed because the church went into the world and the world failed. when it came into the church only jesus never fails in prayer you lay hold of the very hands of god through jesus prayer doesn't fail if you get hold of god the prayer life of king saul was down because of the sin of disobedience and when the day of trouble came he sought other sources of power which led to his death question is are you going through trouble is god silent In 1 Samuel 28 verses 5 to 7 scripture says when Saul saw the army of the Philistines he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly why when you see your trouble facing you in your home in your family in your workplace are you afraid why was Saul trembling why was he afraid are you not anointed how come the little David when he came and saw the Philistines he did not tremble How come he was not afraid? Aren't you facing the same army? Aren't you a bigger man and older man with the army behind you while this young man was not afraid? How come you are afraid? Reason? When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by urim or by the prophets. Why was he afraid? Because his prayer life was gone completely. There was silence from heaven. Then you will be afraid. Then you will be afraid. then the arm of flesh one day will fail everybody the arm of flesh will fail everybody that's why god says let the rich man not boast in his riches everybody runs after apple what happened to steve jobs did it save him no what's your multimillions going to do when you are at the deathbed nothing except for christ nobody has the power to save you from death not your billions will save you it doesn't save you can the wisest man be saved by his wisdom no they'll burn your certificates after you or your children or grandchildren will play with it nothing 
That can your strength save you in the hour of evil? No, it cannot. Only Christ can. That's what scripture is talking about. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium. Then you start looking for other sources. Start looking for other sources. That's what God is talking about. How weak is your prayer life? That's why God has a message for us in his word. In Hebrews 12, 12, this is what God says. Strengthen hands which hang down. And feeble. Two things connected with prayer. Strengthen hands that have come down. And feeble knees. These are two places connected with prayer. God says, strengthen your hands. Your hands have come down. And we know from scripture, every time Moses' hands came down, the enemy won. His hands couldn't come down. He says, strengthen your hands of prayer. Feeble knees. How strong are your knees? From morning till evening, Elijah stood there. And evening came, he did the whole thing, fire came down, he got the people, he went down to the valley, he told them, kill all the prophets of Baal, and after that, what did he do? He went back up the mountain. Mission not over, got on his knees, and was face down before God, until he saw rain. How strong are your knees? Will your knees bend until you get the answer to your prayer? Two minutes later, you give up. Three minutes later, over. That's what scripture is telling you about. Strengthen the hands and your feeble knees. If your prayer life is very, very weak, God says, this is the hour. Strengthen it. Lift up your hands. Strengthen your knees. In Revelation 3 and verse 2, God tells this church, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. They are ready to die. Your prayer life is spluttering. Almost off. Remember, that's our lifeline and our power line. So this next 33 days, 34 days left of these 40 days, strengthen if your hands are weak, your knees are feeble. Because your prayer life, our prayer life has to be built on solid foundations. The first foundation we saw was holiness. God wants clean vessels to pray. Second foundation we saw in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. To fight this battle, God says, you need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you are speaking to the devil, better get your scripture right, otherwise he will prove you wrong. He knows scripture. He knows scripture. Better know your scripture well. That's why we spend so much time in the word of God and encourage you to meditate upon the word of God because without the word of God, you cannot fight the devil. You cannot fight devil's battle. You cannot fight this life's battles. But it's not just memorizing scripture. It is living and practicing, using it. A brother once told me about a child from one of the churches here. She's a young woman now who memorized and spoke in the church the entire 119 psalm. 
Today she doesn't go to church, nor neither does her husband nor her children. Doesn't even enter a church at all. So what's the point in memorizing scripture if you don't believe in it? The word of God. To pray, to fight these battles, we need to know scripture. We need to really spend time meditating. So we don't have to learn it like in Hebrew, but if you want, Vijay will, Pastor Vijay will teach you. Okay, because the devil understands Hebrew too. But even if it is Telugu, it is fine. But you need to know scripture. Because when the hour of battle comes, the Holy Spirit has to bring into your remembrance scripture that you have read. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. That's why we say three strikes and you are no more. Three verses from the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, it is written, it is also written. Three slashes, devil is gone. Just one book, book of Deuteronomy. Just one book. Foundation of sanctification. Foundation of the word of God. Understand these things. These are spiritual realities. These are spiritual realities. Let me give you an example. Matthew 10 verse 13. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Huh? Peace return to me? God is telling his apostles, you go to a house and say, may the peace of God be there upon. He says, I have given you spiritual insight and discernment. If that household is not worthy, you will feel in your spirit the peace coming back because in the spiritual realm, peace has substance. Peace has Substance. Everything in the spiritual realm has substance and faith is the substance of things believed and hoped for. Does God grieve? God can grieve? So there is a pain that is spiritual. Can the devil feel pain? Yes. The sword of the spirit is as real as a physical sword is. He can feel the cuts. This is spiritual. It is real. That's why God says, use it. Be a good soldier. Prayer can do things. So sanctification is the word of God. And third, Mark 9, 29. He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Third is fasting. You need to fast. He says, the greater your struggle, the greater opposition you face, from the powers of darkness, what do you need to do? You need to start a go- one step higher in your battle. You need to start to fast. You need to fast. It doesn't matter how close you have to God and how great experiences you have God, how wonderfully God has used you in Egypt, the demolition of Egypt and the demolition of the Egyptian army, the splitting of the Red Sea and the water from the rock, all that is fine, Moses. But if you have to hear the law from my mouth in your ears, you need to fast for 40 days before you will get it. 40 days without food, without water in the presence of God. Then he got the law. This is the law. You're getting it? 40 days. That's why God says fasting is something that should be Part of us. Daily, regular habit. 
because that's the only way we can deal with the flesh flesh so that the spirit awakens and we start sensing the things of the spirit if people who do not know the living god unbelievers or whatever you want to call them fasting is a regular part of life for them to hear from their powers how much more real is our side Sanctification, word of God, fasting, it is all connected with prayer, okay? The next one which we hate so much, but it is most mandatory, okay? All of you social animals, try to be alone with God. Sadly, some people will never meet God unless everything collapses around them. Then they will pray. Jacob first met God when he was all alone. Circumstances drove him and he was all alone. And God met him and spoke to him in a dream. He was all alone in the wilderness at Bethel. In Genesis 28 and verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. Sometimes We are not able to know God because we have never tried to go alone and be with God. Alone. Twenty years later, you will see his life will change because he will have another encounter with God alone. In Genesis 32 and verse 34, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. That man was waiting for Jacob to be alone so that he could wrestle with him. He wouldn't wrestle with him until he was alone. He wouldn't wrestle with him when he was with his wives. He wouldn't wrestle with him when he was with his children. He wouldn't wrestle with him when he was with his servants. He waited. He was watching. Jacob dividing his company, one group here, and the group here, and the group here, and then he saw Jacob crossing the river, and he coming, and he's all alone. Then the man got him, and says, I'm waiting to get you alone. We have to be learned to be alone with God, and wrestle with him in prayer. There is purpose in group prayer, but there is purpose in praying with God alone, and wrestling with him. Understand that. That's how it works. We have to learn. These are disciplines. Don't be like Moab and go to ease in your youth. Learn to wrestle with God alone. Even as we learn to wrestle with God together in prayer. These are all primary functions in the kingdom. Pramodaya, primary functions in the kingdom. In Leviticus 6 and verse 13, we're just connecting it with prayer. God said something, a fire shall always be burning on the altar, it shall never go out. If you never want the fire to go out, watch your prayer life. That's your lifeline to heaven. The new covenant God tells us through Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verses 16 to 19. Rejoice always. Rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench 
the Spirit's fire, NIV will say. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't. Thanksgiving with rejoicing, never ceasing to pray. That's how you keep the Spirit's fire. You're connected. Connected. When there is power outside and the light fails, the first thing they will come and check is the wiring. When there is power outside and there is darkness inside, check your prayer life. Why has the fire gone? Why has the fire gone? Where did it disappear? Luke 24 verse 32. Scripture says, They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us? If you talk to God, and God talks to you back in your prayer, you can be absolutely sure your heart will be on fire. Your heart will be on fire. It will be. It's literal, it's real. It's not, it's, it's not, not possible. May 16th, 1994, in a prayer meeting, when I was praying, the Lord walked into the room and touched my hand on my shoulder. That changed my life forever. And my shoulder burned. And I looked around, there was nobody. I knew the Lord had walked into that prayer room. Three months later, I was in full-time ministry. In the prayer meeting, in the prayer, God speaks to you. He talks to you. Now you don't need a physical touch. I'm not saying that you need to ask for it. But if you get it, praise God. But what I'm saying, if God talks to you, not you talk to God, don't try to talk to God and set Him on fire. No. If He talks to you, if He talks to you, be sure, be sure your hearts will burn. One word. One word. That's what they're saying. When He talked to us, didn't our hearts burn? Prayer is communication. You talk to God. God talks to you. In Jeremiah 23 verse 29, God says, Is not my word like a fire? Do you, do you feel the fire when you read this? Doesn't it burn you when you read this? Or you hear a message and you know, wow, it's burning. It's real. This is him. He says, isn't my word like fire? Or are your games like fire? Until that Gadget catches fire because of battery malfunction. For the people of God, His word is fire. John the Baptist said, the one who comes after me shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh God is fire. In Jeremiah 20, 20 and verse 9, scripture says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. He says, my heart was on fire, my bones was on fire, and you will see if your heart and bone is on fire, ultimately like Elijah, you will bring fire on the mountain. He'll bring down fire from heaven. And touch the lives of people. Our God is fire. And it happens all through prayer. When we battle powers of darkness on high places, there has to be fire. There has to be fire. That is what destroys them. One man and his prayer life. But when the time came for Elijah to pray, 
Ramar on Mount Carmel. When the time came for Elijah to pray, the first thing he did was this. In First Kings chapter 18, 29. When midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. If that's how you feel in your prayer closet, that there is no voice, no one is answering, no one seems to be paying attention, then listen to what Elijah did. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that has broken down. First thing to check is when there is no answer from heaven. Is the altar down? Is my prayer altar down? Don't check anything else. First check your prayer life. That's where God meets you. That's where God meets you. That's where you make things right with God. That's where God meets. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. You can still get up, come back and meet him at the prayer altar. Abraham, the father of faith, went to Egypt, sold his wife. The wife was taken by another man. God supernaturally intervened, rescued his wife, sent, kicked him out of Egypt. He came back to Egypt, went straight to the altar and put everything right before God. The next thing you see, his heart is clean and he tells his nephew, you take whatever you want. I don't want conflict over money. You take your first choice and you leave. Whichever direction you want. How did he reach that state? Because he put everything right at the altar. Put everything right at the altar. First thing Elijah says is before you can have anything from God, whether you want fire or whether you want rain, God says first thing, repair the altar that is broken down. Church, don't take this lightly. Examine your prayer life. Because the enemy is at work day and night. He never sleeps nor slumbers like our God. That's why spiritual violence is allowed. In the spirit realm, there is violence. And we are called to spiritual violence. So many people don't realize what is happening to them. In Nahum 2 and 2, this is what God says. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. I want to restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. But what? Emptiers have emptied them out. Who are emptiers? The spiritual demons. You try to move on speech, you think you have, they come and empty it. You come to this place in your workplace, they come and empty. You come to this in your home, they come and empty. Emptiers have emptied them. These are spiritual battles. They are real battles. The entire Bible talks about the spiritual warfare that is going on over the people of God. I want to restore you. I want you to make you excellent like Israel. But remember, you are fighting a spiritual battle. Open your eyes. Don't achieve anything in your life at the cost of your relationship with God. They will empty you out. They will empty you out. Emptiers will empty you out. The spiritual world is real. And there are battles going on which we do not see unless our eyes are open and we know how to fight those battles. Listen to Elisha so that I'm just showing you how it happened. Second Kings chapter 5 verses 26 to 27. Then he said to them, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? 
Another version will say, did not my spirit. Is it time to receive money, to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyard, sheep, oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Let me ask you this question. Did Naman go dip in River Jordan seven times? Did his leprosy go? How did Naman get? Sorry, yeah, this guy. Uh, what is his name? Gehasi get leprosy. So leprosy is a spiritual thing which can be transferred from one person to another. And it manifests physically. Sicknesses can be transferred. We know that in, sci- in science. That's why we all wash and carry all those things with us. Spiritually things can be transferred. The transference on both sides. Both sides. Remember, it is possible. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. So weapons are being formed against you, right? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. So weapons are being formed. No every tongue which rises against you in judgment. So through the speaking there is a transference of evil and an emptying of good on people. God says it shall not work with you because you shall condemn this because this is the heritage of the servants of God and their righteousness is from me. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that righteousness is a shield. Otherwise things will happen in your life. They can transfer. The thing is that we are so willing to believe about the good side and we are blinded about the bad side. Let me show you two good good sides. Matthew 9 verse 20. Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. What happened to her? What happened to her? She was healed. So if you touch the hem of Jesus, not touch Jesus, touch the hem of Jesus, there can be a transference from the garment. Right? So virtue can be on a garment. By the time the church begins in Acts chapter 19 verse 12 says, and even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, in this case, the man is somewhere far off. The handkerchief is being taken because the virtue and the anointing that is on the man is being transferred through the Kerchief upon the receiver by faith and he is being healed. Do you think evil cannot be transferred in the same way? So good can be transferred. Evil also can be transferred. And many, many people are bound in their souls because you have received transference through things. Most of the things, or if not all the things made in the world is to make Slaves of men and women and children. They can convey evil power. There are forces working day and night. And if we don't have discernment and don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world, then we will start carrying objects that lead to bondage. In First Timothy chapter 4 verses 4 to 5. For every creature of God is good. 
nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of god and prayer he says before you receive anything check is this sanctified by the word of god and by prayer ask anything ask anything how does this help me in becoming a little more than christ does the word of god sanctify what i am buying and then receive it with thanksgiving i pray it is sanctified every evil if it was there on it is destroyed by the word of god and by prayer that's how you receive things in this world otherwise it can destroy you you remember poor jacob coming back after 20 years in his father in law's house they come to sichem first thing happens in sichem his only daughter is violated two sons go and kill the entire city out is meham poor man thought lord you call me out i thought i'm going to have some peace in my old age insanity is absolute chaos what does god tell him god tell him the reason is you are at the wrong place with the wrong things in genesis 35 verse 1 he says arise arise go up to bethel and dwell there bethel is the house of god he says go to bethel and dwell here what are you doing here arise and go to bethel and dwell there make there an altar there to god who appeared to you when you fled from the face of esau go to the place where you met me and second have an altar there and continue regularly meeting me these things will not happen to you The reason these things have happened is because of where you are. There is no fellowship with God. There is no altar where you are meeting me regularly. And verse 2 onwards, he will tell his children. What does he say? Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. He says, we are going to Bethel. You got a lot of stuff with you. Get it all away. Get it all? You know what they took out? Let us arise, go up to Bethel. I will make an altar there to God who answered him in the day of my distress. I have been gone with me by the way which I have gone. What happens? So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and earrings. In their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree. You know what happens? Stuff around the world being made curses put upon them demons put upon them to trap people you go by hi oh, so good it looks nice with my outfit you go over there and you look good but from that day you are not able to hear the voice of god from your ears and you don't even realize it because you are not spiritually sensitive oh this looks so good in my neck yeah you are now throttled in the spiritual realm be careful Not only that you suddenly start demonstrating other things in your flesh you are impatient you are angry you are you are tired you are weary where did I didn't have all these things and you don't realize what has happened to me and you're angry with everybody else without realizing you got stuff which cannot be sanctified by the word of god or by prayer toys we buy from the market all kinds of demonic stuff games we download from the internet movies we watch it's all transference that is taking place well god has told us come out from babylon 
Babylon. Do not confirm. Do not copy this world because the ruler of this world is the devil. He uses sorcery to bring everyone under bondage. But we want to be like the world. God says if you become like the world, you will have to go through the judgment of the world. So these 40 days, let God show you, not me. God can only show me. God has to show us. Take it seriously, fast, because most of you have vacation. Fast, pray and Lord, show me the things which I need. Some of you, God will say, take that TV you have in your home, take it to the third floor and drop it down. Don't give it to another man who will be bound by it. You just destroy it. Some of you young people, if you are you're willing and obedient, all your gadgets will disappear, starting with your phone. Let me honestly ask you, at your age, why do you need a phone? Don't tell me. These phones came in the year 2000. When did it came? 2003, I came back from Bhutan and I remember my first Motorola was this big. Did you ever see the first phones that came, mobile phones? They were like our old walkie-talkies. So it is only like 10 to 12 years old. Did people live for 6,000 years before these phones came? Happily? The fact is that you don't need these phones. You can live peacefully. I always tell my wife, honey, if you want to sleep, switch that two phones off. Not that you will call, everybody will call you. Switch it off. You don't need, you don't need this. Most people don't need this. You really want? Go back home. Go back to whoever is in charge of you and says, I have made an act of faith. Here it is. And even if I ask tomorrow, don't give it back. You'll be free. Actually check. I, I tell people, some of these phones have that app by which you can see how many hours you have talked a day or a week. And I said, check your phone. You will see you have talked 15 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours a day. Most of it is garbage. Useless in the kingdom of God. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Don't tell me 30 hours you prayed with somebody. No, you didn't. 30 minutes if you prayed in a week, that's a miracle. You don't need You need to take very radical decisions. Very tough decisions in life if you really want to go ahead and escape this darkness. No TV. And I congratulate all my small, almost all my young couples because when I go to their houses, you will not see a TV in any one of their houses because when they heard the word in the beginning, they decided we are not going to mess our children up with this. No TVs. No TVs. Lot of stuff. Lot of stuff we need to get rid of because it's contaminated by this world. Honestly ask yourself, can I receive it with thanksgiving? Can it be sanctified by the word? Can it be received with prayer, what I have in my hand? Ask. Young ladies, ask. When you take those tight, tight outfits to wear tomorrow, is it sanctified by the word and by prayer? Ask. Ask. Honestly, ask. That's why I told Eric last Sunday, he sent me a picture of him wearing a sleeve of t-shirt and shorts in the mission field. I said, pray for this missionary who lost his hands and legs in the mission field. 
He said, Pastor, sorry, I was not preaching. I was in a home. I said, okay. Men also do stuff. Especially if you pump iron and you got some muscle, then all your clothes are suddenly tight. Why? Let me tell you honestly. If you walk in the flesh, you will get a spouse according to the flesh. Then don't cry afterwards. If you walk in the spirit, you will get a wife or a husband according to the spirit. Simple as that. If you go flexing your biceps like Samson, you will get a Delilah. And if you go painting your eyes like Jezebel, you will get Ahab. Bible talks about all these things. That is why Bible is very clear when it talks about Jesus. There was nothing in him. No beauty in him. That we should be attracted to him by his outward beauty. Yet scripture says, wherever he went, crowds followed him. Because there was this beauty coming from within. To which people were flocking to. Flocking to. They talk about Paul. He writes so powerfully. But if you saw him, they see he was half blind, bald, a small man. But when you read his letters, churches trembled. When he walked into the city like Philippi and all demons called out servants of the Most High. But if you saw at him, you wouldn't give him a second look. Because there is a different power and different look in the spiritual realm. Which do you want? It's the question God is asking. And when you fast and when you pray, God will show you all these things. And he will say, child, this is what I want you to be. Are you willing to give it up for me? Like a man of God said, a fool for Christ and an idiot for everyone else. I am willing. What is that? A fool for Christ and an idiot for everyone else. I am willing. Are you willing? If so this morning, let's go to communion. Learn from scripture. Keep your life very, very, very simple. Very, very, very simple. Repair your altar. Keep the fire burning. Take the attack to the enemy. We are not set up people who are supposed to be huddling, afraid and waiting for rapture. No, the church is set up people who make powers of darkness tremble because of their prayer life and their spiritual vitality. Take this seriously. And that's this next 33 days when we come to our 10th year. January the 10th, when we begin our anniversary, let 10th year begin by saying, Lord, judge me. I'm ready to join the battle. 10 days after Jesus arose, 120 people were ready to start the battle. God knew they were ready. They did not know they were ready. God knew they were ready and he filled them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The world has never been the same after that. But in the Bible, one more outpouring is promised in the last days. The former and the latter together. Be ready. Be prepared for that. Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you as we are now. You know us. How we 
each one is really is like inside where there are altars that are down where there are knees that are feeble hands that are weak you know it all i pray father today there would be a new dedication back to you on that day on mount carmel elijah told the people come near to me today i pray father there would be a drawing near to you in the inner man a repairing of the altar the altar that has been broken down because we were feasting in the flesh we neglected the altar of prayer we neglected the altar of the word of god we neglected the assembling of together we neglected fasting we neglected seeking after you we neglected seeking your kingdom and your righteousness we neglected putting you first in everything we neglected thanking you and rejoicing always our altars are down oh lord today father we come and we repair it by faith today father cleanse us sanctify us as we partake of this emblems heal us restore us let there be healing and restoration in bodies in homes let there be a genuine prayer life begin that we hear from you and our hearts burn within us that your body and your blood that was shed for us 2000 years ago still has never lost its power let it bring healing in your house today lord thank you thank you thank you for in Jesus
joy to all of you in all I do to all of you this morning I believe the spirit of God is showing all of us where we are weak in the spirit where the altar is down what are the blocks that are down how feeble we are in the spirit unable to fight these battles when the battle is only intensifying but we serve a god who proclaimed behold i give you power over all the power of the enemy you shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm you the god who spoke that the very god of peace shall soon crush even satan under your feet god who spoke to us all power and authority in heaven is given unto me in my name said in this in my name these things shall follow those who believe starting today let's go back to the author of our faith the shepherd of our souls He too like Elijah is telling his people come near to me Scripture says draw near to God and he will draw near to us then he will show us all those things that need to be put away and to be cleansed and even to cleanse those things in our lives we don't have to go far the river flows from his riven side it's a crimson tide come to me let us reason together god says sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow father we just come to you individually and as a church and we confess our prayerlessness the sin of prayerlessness that altar has remained empty for so long you were faithful you waited for us there but often we didn't come often we were in a hurry often it was just a monologue often we just threw our prayer our list shopping list before you and got up and walked away but today we come back to you we come back to you and we surrender ourselves once again before thee lord i pray father we your people will hear your voice once again and our hearts will burn 
when we study your word we hear your word we will know it is fire and that fire will be stored in our bones that we cannot help but speak about your goodness about your greatness and about your amazing grace i pray father all who hear will be a people who are on fire for god change us we just surrender father change us from within change us change us take authority in the name of jesus of nazareth and i break the power of emptiers in the name of jesus of nazareth i command you to leave our children their minds their bodies that has been captivated i speak release in the name of jesus create a holy distaste in them for the things of the world or master that hold them bondage and i pray father if anyone here young or old is addicted to substance any substance alcohol narcotics anything i pray they will be sick in their guts until they leave it by faith by coming here and standing up they have offered their bodies as living sacrifice take authority o oh lord that if they touch alcohol again or cigarette again or any narcotic again they will be sick speak it into their lives lord for your word says you hated iniquity and loved righteousness therefore you anointed him above his brethren with the oil of gladness i pray father you will put that same spirit in us a distaste for the things of this world that each one will stand as as a signpost very lives will be calling out to people turn back to god living witnesses empower empower your people during this season fill us more and more and more oh god that we can know and experience what is the resurrection power of christ jesus promised us i have come to give you life your life that life in abundance all those who come from unbelieving families i pray the blood of jesus will protect them and keep them and by their faith their unbelieving spouses are sanctified by their faith their children are holy we bring into your remembrance your word of god work in their spouses until their hearts are turned to you in faith that children return and acknowledge the god of the believing parent Let there be deliverance in the house of God today, Lord. Deliverance. Deliverance. I pray you will heal tongues today. And when people open their mouths, they will only speak words that are edifying. Words that lift up and not pull down. Words that are sanctified in your presence, in your hearing. Words that bless. to be a cleansing of tongues by fire cleansing of minds by the blood of Jesus 
when their consciences let it be cleansed the children who have fallen will never go back to those sins again let be deliverance father thank you thank you thank you come in all our people who have gone home our children protect them wherever they are from the powers of darkness protect them preserve them bring them all back safely in your appointed time lord thank you thank you thank you father i bless your people in your name let the blessings of the living god pursue them and overtake them all the days of their life let their heart be like a flint towards you lord and jerusalem thank you thank you father now by faith believing the word the blood and the spirit has sanctified us we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name thank you father in jesus name we pray amen the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen and amen